Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. I, f- I felt impressed today to speak on the subject, the church, the church of Jesus Christ. I may speak on that other times during the month of June. This fifth Sunday of May sort of is a strange day. This is the 31st of May. Really, it ought to be the first part of June, it seems to me like. And uh, so we're entering the month of June. This is Bible school month. This is uh, a month when we need to, this is Royal Ranch month. And also um, just a month that will be a blessing to our hearts. In your Bible, Matthew chapter 16, and we begin reading with verse 13. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank Thee for all that has gone into this service, those beautiful songs that the choir has given us and the various people who have sung. We thank You for the people who have come to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. We pray You'll watch over Brother Jim and Miss Teresa today in their vacation time. And now may the Holy Spirit speak to hearts here and all over the world at this particular worship hour here in this city and county and across America and in other parts of the world. Especially watch over our missionaries and those who are holding forth the Word of God. Help us in the revival meeting at Riverside. We thank you for Brother Johnny, his faithfulness there. And may this service right now just honor Christ. We confess our need. We confess our sins, and we ask for God's Holy Spirit to move in power. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus had called his best friends together to an area called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was right at the foot of Mount Hermon, north of the Sea of Galilee. If you should go there today, you would find at the foot of Mount Hermon, the tributaries that form the Jordan River. And there's an area that's all blocked up and walled up, and you can just see the Jordan River forming right there at the foot of Mount Mount Hermon. And it was at this place that Jesus took his disciples. Sort of a retreat. It's like sometimes when you go off to some place just to be by yourself. The Lord took his best friends to be with them by himself. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered, And said, Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Sometimes we read those words glibly, and we fail to know the meaning. This is the very first time in the ministry of Jesus that anybody has ever recognized who he was. It's the first place in the Bible, in the New Testament, where we find the confession of another person as to who Jesus is. The angel has told us. Mary and Joseph said his name is Jesus, but the angel said he shall save his people from their sin. But this is the first time we have a human being recognizing who Jesus is. 
And Peter said, Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Messiah. You're the one that was told about in the Old Testament. You're the anointed one, the Son of the living God. It was as if he were going back to all those Old Testament passages. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not near. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. But thou, Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth who is to be governor, whose goings forth have been from of old, even from everlasting. It's as if Simon Peter is wrapping all those passages that he is probably familiar with up and wrapping them in one package and saying, this is who you are. I recognize you. You're the Christ. You're everybody Moses talked about. You're the one Moses talked about. You're the one that all the prophets talked about. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're God incarnate in human flesh. Well, Jesus stood, turned to him and said a remarkable thing. He said, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, bar Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, Petros, a little stone, a little pebble. And upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now this is the first place in the Bible, in the New Testament, where the church is mentioned. The message today is not so much an inspirational sermon as it is sort of a teaching, an instruction in the church. And I hope you'll remember some of these things. The very first place the word church, the New Testament church, is founded is in Matthew 16. And who founded the church? Jesus himself. You see, the church was not founded on the day of Pentecost. It was empowered on that day, but it was founded by Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself. Now, if you hold your finger there, because we're coming back, and turn to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, and we don't have time to look at all the passages, but if you just, well, let's begin with verse 16. This explains it. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It says the eleven disciples, Judas Iscariot, had already betrayed the Lord, and he was gone now. He had hanged himself, gone to his own place. Never was a Christian. Never was really a saved person. And now he's gone. There are only 11. There's a subtraction. I guess the disciples could have said, well, we're sort of discouraged. We used to have 12, now we just got 11. You see, when the church was founded, there were only 12. That's in Matthew 16. In Matthew 28, now they're just 11. And Jesus gives them a commission. Now remember the church is founded in Matthew 16. It is commissioned in Matthew 28. Jesus said in, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The church was commissioned by Jesus in Matthew 28. Now turn your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, we have the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Just before we get to chapter 2, verses, chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And we come to Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and now the church is empowered so we have the founding of the church in Matthew 16 Jesus founded it the commissioning of the church in Matthew 28 Jesus gave the commission the empowering of the church to carry out that commission in Acts chapter 2. And who is the Holy Spirit? I got a letter last week from a dear Catholic that I've been corresponding with for several years. In the letters, I, I've been telling him how to be saved, how to give his heart to Christ. And, and so he wrote me the other day and said, I, I, there's one thing I can't figure out. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, to some of you, that may seem like an elementary question, but that's a very serious question. Who is the Holy Spirit? If somebody come up to you this week and say, Who is the Holy Spirit? What would you tell them? The Holy Spirit is the very presence of Jesus, the reality of Jesus, the person of Jesus who lives in our hearts, the Spirit of Jesus that lives in the believer's heart. The Lord Jesus himself is at the right hand of the Father, according to our understanding of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son. But God the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts when we receive Christ as our Savior. And it is that Holy Spirit that baptized the body of Christ into one in Acts chapter 2 and empowered the body of Christ to do the work that God called the church to do. Now with that in the background, let me say this. There are two divine institutions which the Lord God founded, the home and the church. For the last three Sunday nights, we've been talking about the home, how important the home is. The other institution that the Lord founded is the church. I want to speak this morning on the church and her responsibility. The word church is the English translation of the word ecclesia, which signifies a called out assembly. Thirteen times this word is used to refer to the entire body of Christ, all the ransomed bride of Christ, the body of Christ that will one day be assembled before the Lord in heaven. God knows who they are, Jesus knows who they are, and the Bible in Ephesians chapters, chapters 4 and 5 speak of that as the church, the corporate body of Christ. There's no way to deny that. No one wants to deny it. But very frankly, most of the time the word church appears in the New Testament, it's referring to a local assembly of believers. 
Not the whole, whole body of Christ. It's referring to the church at Ephesus, the church at Rome, the church at Philippi, the church at Antioch, the church at Jerusalem, the church at Glendale. The local, called out body of Christ. And in that local, called out body of Christ, there is everything there that is in the total body of Christ. Only this is the business house of the Lord in the world today, the most important business in the earth. The whole body of Christ, that's the ransomed church of God, saved to sin no more, assembled before the Lord in heaven, known now from heaven, and everybody in that body of Christ is saved and regenerated and on their way to heaven. But in the local, visible body of Christ, the local church, because we are human, and because we do not see as God sees, it could be that someone could be a member of the local, visible body of Christ, the church here, and not really be regenerate, not really be saved. And we need to realize that. That's the reason from time to time we see somebody come forward. They say, I've been a member of this church 10 years. I've been a member of some Baptist church for 15 years, and I've never been saved. And they give their hearts to Christ. And then they become part of the body of Christ, the real body of Christ, and they become in reality a member of that local body of Christ. That's the reason they need to be baptized. I've talked to people who've gotten saved. They've been uh, baptized maybe years before. They joined a church, made a profession of faith, they were baptized, but they were never genuinely born again, never saved. And now they come and they give their hearts to Christ. They really get saved and God is in their lives and we say, now you need to be baptized because Jesus said to them, well, they said, well, I've already been baptized. No, you were just dumped. <laughs> you were not baptized. Baptism always follows the reality of the experience. If you were not genuinely born again when you were baptized, then you were just dunked in some water. You went down a dry center, you came up a wet center, still lost. But when you give your heart to Christ, Jesus comes into your heart and he forgives you and cleanses you and saves you. He gives you a new desire in your heart, new morals, new ideals, new concepts, a new attitude about sin, a genuine repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you'll want to be baptized because baptism pictures something that's real in your heart. It says, folks, this is what Jesus has done for me. He lived, he died and was buried and he rose again and did it for me. And I'm part of him now. Ninety-four times the word ecclesia is used to refer to a local assembly. And it is in this sense the word is used most frequently in the scripture. It is this more frequent term of the church that we want to think about this morning. What is a church? The church is a group of called out baptized believers who have banded themselves together to carry out the commission of Christ. I want you to remember that. The church is a band of baptized believers who have banded themselves together to carry out the commission of Christ. That's what a church is. The Glendale Baptist Church was founded in the, in the, in the summer of 1955. First Sunday school met in June of 1955. 
There are people in this room who were here those 32 or 33 years ago. This summer, we are launching the 33rd year of the ministry of Glendale Baptist Church. A body of baptized believers who have banded themselves together to carry out the commission of Christ. Now let's think for a moment or two about the entrance into the church. Jesus said in John chapter 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot comprehend the kingdom of God except a man be born again. So the entrance into the church, first of all, is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a divine institution. It is not a club. It is not some exclusive organization or some secret group. There may be people in this room today who belong to some secret organization where you have to say some secret word to get in or you wear some secret ring or you have some secret handshake in which you uh, identify yourself as a part of that, per that group. Now, the church is not like that at all. The church is entered through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repenting of sin coming and confessing our need and saying, Lord, I am in need of God's grace. I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. I'm lost. I'm undone. I'm disturbed in my soul. I need something I don't have. Now, we may not be able to put it in words like that. When I was lost, I'd go to church and the preacher would preach and I thought his finger would go right around those people in front of me and come right down in my heart. I knew I needed something I didn't have. And then I'd get disturbed, and I'd think, well, that preacher's just pointing me out. He's after me. So I left, and I said, I'm not going back. I don't want to go to church. I'd say to my folks, I don't want to go to church. But do you know the next Sunday, I went. Not just because folks made me. But there was something inside that sort of drew me. There's a drawing power of God, that's the Holy Spirit, the convicting finger of God that puts his hand upon our heart and mind and life and says, you need something you don't have, and that preacher is talking about it. That's what it was with me. One Sunday night, they sang, Jesus is tenderly calling me home. And I bowed my head and I said, Lord, I want to surrender to you. I would like to be saved, but I'm afraid of all these people. I don't know what makes us afraid. There's someone in this room today who would really like to come to Jesus. But you put it off and put it off because of you're afraid. You're afraid of people, afraid to step out of the aisle, timidity. And I said, Lord, I'm afraid. And it just seemed like I heard Jesus say to my heart, I've never seen Jesus, but I've heard him talk to me. Now, he doesn't talk like Johnny Deegans talks to me or like Lee Kennedy talks to me. He talks in my heart. Have you heard Jesus talk to you? And he said, Richard, if you'll take the first step, I'll go with you the rest of the way. And I took a step out in the aisle and Jesus began to walk with me and he's been with me ever since. When I got to the front, our church didn't have 
personal workers and they didn't come and kneel with me and pray and explain how to be saved, it would have been good if they'd have done that. But I was already saved when I got down there. I was saved in that walk down there. I don't know where, what, really what step it was, but I gave my heart to Christ. I think it was the first step when I took out in the aisle. When I got down to the front, I said to the preacher, I've given my heart to Jesus. I want to be baptized. I'm so glad. I did that when I was young. That was the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where joining the church begins. It begins by the Spirit of God convicting us and making us aware that we need something we don't have. Junior boys and girls, is there someone here you've never given your heart to Jesus? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Is he making you aware that you need God in your life? If he is, don't put him off. Don't say no. Let him come in. And then, the entrance of the church doesn't only begin with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and with our opening the heart of Jesus and saying, come in, Lord. Then, Jesus said, all right, if you're trusting me as your Savior, I want you to identify yourself. I want you to put on the armor, the uniform of a Christian. And I say, Lord, what's the uniform of a Christian? Do I have to go to some camp and get some khaki outfit or blue outfit or something? No, Jesus said, I want you to be baptized. Baptized? Yeah, go down in the water. Well, Lord, isn't that sort of silly? Why should I do that? Why not wear a ring? Why not wear some special uniform, clothes? No, Jesus said, I, I don't want that. That's all right. But he said, what I want you to do is to be baptized. Because I said to you, not necessarily under any other reason, but I said to. You see, Jesus walked 60 miles to be baptized. He must have thought it was pretty important. Not in order to be saved. Jesus didn't have any sins to wash away. Baptism has never saved anybody. It could never save anybody in a thousand worlds. But baptism is the public confession of something that's real in your heart. Now, I used to go to a church that sprinkled. I think all of my dad's folks were sprinkled. And when I got here, I was, he was a Methodist. We were all, you know. They may have dedicated you, but that wasn't baptism. Baptism has to come after salvation. And it has to be a certain way. See, Jesus is a little bit of a stickler for a definite way. He has a definite plan of salvation. He has a definite plan of service. He has a definite plan for you to die. He has a definite heaven for you to live in. Not some spooky kind of thing. Well, I think I'll make the kind of heaven I want to have. I've heard people psychologically say, well, you're building your own heaven. Well, they don't know much about the Bible to say that. Now, Jesus has a definite way to be baptized into the local church. And that definite way is by immersion. You come either in that water or out in the river, or out in the creek, and we baptized every place. I baptized people in the river. I, down in Guthrie, Kentucky, when I was pastor down there, we went out to Spring Creek down in Tennessee, had baptisms on Sunday afternoon down there. We have the Royal Ranch that I think of dear brother and Mrs. Thomas Gaines. They got saved about this time of the year. It was Memorial Day in May. 
And Brother Thomas said, I want to be baptized down at the Royal Ranch. Isn't that beautiful? And we all went down there, led him out into the little Jordan, took him down under the water, brought him up out of the water. When we had his funeral a few years ago, I, I thought of that. You see, baptism is a picture. It's a picture of, first of all, that Jesus died for us and was buried, and three days later he was raised from the grave. It says to everybody, Jesus is my Savior. Secondly, baptism pictures my own death and burial to sin, to an old way, to an old attitude, to an old life, and my resurrection to walk with Christ, a different person. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Thirdly, baptism pictures, it's a prophecy. It pictures that one day you're going to die if Jesus doesn't come first and you're going to be buried. But just like God raised Jesus from the dead, he's going to raise you and you'll be with him forever and you don't have to be afraid to die. I've stood with a lot of people who died. I wish you could talk to Miss Helen Turner about some people who have died under her nursing care, especially one man who didn't believe in anything. A horrible, horrible death. I've seen some people die like that, but oh, how precious it is to see somebody who is saved. And as they go down into the valley, they say, there are no, there are no dark valleys down here. Jesus is here. The Lord is the light of the valley. That's what baptism pictures. Now, anybody that gets saved and understands that, I think will want to be baptized. I did, and I, I feel like you'd want to, because Jesus said to. Now, that's how you enter the church. Confession of your faith in Christ and following Jesus in baptism, and then you're part of the visible, local body of Christ. Now, what is the purpose of the church? The last words of the Lord gave us the purpose of the church. Jesus said, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, all the way, even to the end of the age. You're not alone. Jesus has given the church a specific purpose. Listen, church. Some of you may remember that dear black lady who used to come and sing to us, and she'd hold her hands out, and she'd say, Come on, church. And I've forgotten all the songs that she'd sing. You remember that? She's in heaven now. That's what I want to say to you. Come on, church. Let's do what Jesus said to do. The church that the Lord instituted had one main purpose. Now listen, the main purpose of the church is not to worship. Now certainly we need to worship. We need to join together in a great worship service. But the business of the church takes place after we leave the worship hour. There ought to be a sign over the door that says, enter to worship, leave to serve. We used to have some signs over the doors that said, the mission, you're now entering the mission field. <laughs> the mission field is out there. And Jesus said to his church, go. And as you're going, give the gospel everywhere. In tracks, gospel tracks. In word, in action, in mission endeavors. This is the reason we have a bus ministry. I thank God for that noble army of men and women who run our buses. 
the bus drivers, and then the bus captains and pastors, and our bus director, Brother Johnny, who go out into the highways and hedges Sunday after Sunday and Saturday after Saturday looking for people, knocking on doors and finding people, trying to obey the Great Commission right here. That's God's commission. I'm glad for the soul winning teams. Did you know that last Sunday, Saturday, uh, last Thursday night, we had 40 people out for God in soul winning visitation? That was a thrill, 40 people. And in addition to others that visited during the week, I don't know how many, maybe 50 or 60, I don't know. That's the work of the church. That's what Jesus told us to do, go. And as you go, sow the seed of the word of God. We have a team that are going to Texas in July. Frankly, I wish we could hold the line financially. There are some that are going that can't afford to go at all. Some of you may want to help them a little bit financially. We have a team that needs to go to Mexico. We need some additional people who will go. We have missionaries that serve the Lord around the world. I think of Larry and Becky Doyle who used to come and be here. They got they got to know each other here. Larry went off on a youth team, met Becky, and they got to love each other, got together and married, and God blessed them. Larry was baptized right in this baptistry. He is now president of the seminary in Quito, Ecuador, a missionary serving God. That's the work of the church. Go, and as you go, make disciples everywhere. That's every Christian's job. Nobody's exempt from that responsibility. The purpose of the church. Last of all, I want to talk about the holiness of the church. I have a lot more to say, but for brevity of time, let me just say this. Turn your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is the purpose Jesus gave his church. I mean, this is, the, this is the assignment of holiness that Jesus gave his church. And we often overlook this. And probably it's at this point that there's as much opposition as any in any time to the church. It's at the, it's the point of holiness. <laughs> there are a lot of people who say, well, all the churches don't preach this. They don't all teach this. I'll go find me a church that doesn't say anything about holiness. I want, I want to say this. Did you know that Baptist churches talked about holiness 1,800 years before they ever heard of a church called holiness? Because holiness is the watchword of God's people. Be holy, for I am holy. Be separate. The word holy doesn't mean sinless. It means separated unto God. Now, there are a lot of people going to turn me off right now. You, you know, you, you say, well, preacher, you've done okay until now, but you, you're going to get into meddling. Well, let me just give you what the Word of God says. Open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and look at what God says, and then I'll give you equal time at the end of the service to tell me what this, this verse means if it doesn't mean what I've said it means. Look at it closely. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, that ye should show forth the praises of him 
who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the holiness of the church. The assignment Jesus gave to everyone here. If you've been saved and you've been baptized into the fellowship of the church and you've understood the purpose of the church to go and make disciples, then while you're doing that, be sure you live a holy life, a godly life. Here in America, we have a tough time understanding this because we are mostly second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth generation Christians. Your folks were Christians and their folks were Christians and their folks were Christians and we've taken it for granted. And we've forgotten the sharp distinction between being a Christian and being a non-Christian, being saved and being lost. Sometimes people become Christians when they're little, five, six, seven years old, and, and they grow up knowing the Lord, and they forget that there's a distinction between being lost and being saved, being holy and being unholy. And so kids grow up and they see all the other kids doing these things. They say, well, I guess I can do them too. I'm just normal, just a teenager, just a kid. I'll sow my wild oats. But you see, that's not what God says. Sometimes adults do the same thing. And we think we can just live any old way and God will understand. That isn't true. The Bible says you are a chosen generation, a holy people, a peculiar people, a people of his own that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hey, why don't you go to these proms and dances? Well, I'm glad you asked. The reason I don't go is because I'm a Christian. Well, all the other Christians go. Yeah, well, I don't know how, I, I don't know how to answer that, but I know that Jesus won't let me do that. <whistles> Say, preacher, you're way out. Yeah, I am. <laughs> That's what I said. You won't like it when you leave. <laughs> Get to this point. Hey, why don't you play cards like everybody else does? Well, I'm glad you asked because Jesus doesn't want me to do that. He wants me to honor him. Why don't you smoke and drink like everybody else does? Because Jesus doesn't want me to do that. I gave my life to him. Why don't you laugh at all these dirty jokes and so on like everybody else does? Because Jesus doesn't want me to. Hey, kids, you're sort of strange. I, I notice that you all go together, but you don't hug and kiss and maul all over each other. What's wrong? Are you doing something wrong? Are you abnormal or something? I'm glad you asked. Jesus wants us to keep our bodies holy for him and for the one that I'm going to give my body to for all of life as a partner. You see, Christians, part of God's church, are to be holy unto the Lord. My time is up. Let me plead with you if you're part of God's church. Thank God. Just say, thank you, Jesus, that you've saved me. You've washed me in your blood. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm God's child, and I want to serve him. And if you've found some areas of your life that are not really what they ought to be, would you just say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you in such a way that you can use me. There'll be a remarkable difference between the way I live and the way the world lives.
I'm going to live for Christ. God help you to do it. Now, if you're not saved, remember, for by grace are you saved through faith. Just simple grace. All God's love He focused and poured out on you. Jesus went to the cross and shed His blood for our sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from sin if you'll come to Him with your sin stains and your shame and you're having fumbled the ball, you're having sat on the bench and say, Lord, I want to get in the game. I want to give my life to you. I want to be what God wants me to be. Jesus will hear you and he'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you and you'll be what God wants you to be. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, it's been so sweet to be in God's house today and be blessed by the songs and to be encouraged by the presence of the people and to know that Jesus is here meeting with his church. Dear Lord, we pray that will touch somebody who is without Christ and draw that one to the Lord and touch others that ought to come be part of this fellowship by church membership. Have thy way. And oh God, create holiness in all of our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. May we stand, please. Turn your hymn books to page 252. Number 252. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. He will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. I want to ask Brother Bob Brown to come and lead us in this invitation. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him now. And the invitation is simply this. If you're without Jesus, you've never given him your heart, I ask you to come today. Put your life on the line for Christ. If you're a member of some other church and God wants you here, would you step out for Christ and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to be part of this fellowship. If God has spoken to you about some other area of your life and you need to recommit your life to Christ, do it now. While we begin to sing, who will step out for Christ? Will you come?